Welcome to the NIHR Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world. Hello, I'm Anna Volkmer, and I'm excited to have been asked to host this podcast today for the NIHR Dementia Researcher website. Before we start, I've been asked to remind listeners just what the NIHR Dementia Researcher Service is all about. As well as these podcasts where we talk to academics and early career researchers about their research and more general career topics that affect us all, we also have a fantastic website. There you will find we post daily with everything from blogs by early career researchers sharing their own experiences and work to the latest research news funding opportunities, jobs and events. We also have a WhatsApp chat group that lets you connect with your peers to seek advice, support and to talk about these podcasts. I myself am on that WhatsApp chat group. Now this week I'm joined by three highly experienced professionals to discuss their work in addressing the complexity of sexuality within dementia care. I know from my own clinical experience and also my research experience that there is a very limited research in this area around what families and frontline care home staff consider to be the best responses to the sexual expression of a person with dementia, whilst at the same time respecting relatives' feelings, managing their possible distress and conflict. So I'm hoping today's panel, I'm sure in fact, that today's panel will share some of their insights. So hello and welcome to Professor Jill Manthorpe, Dr Dawn Garrett and Esther Wiskirky. Now before we get going, I'd like you to all introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your background. Great. Um, hi, everybody. I'm Jill Mansop and I work at King's College London. Um, I run a variety of research projects um, and many of them touch on the lives of people living with dementia. Um, I've been interested in dementia research oh, for a long time since it was probably called dementia research and it was about people with frailty and sometimes they were even called confused older people. Um, but since then, I've learned a lot. Um, I've learned a lot with other people and I'm really pleased now to be working in a variety of NIHR studies and supporting new researchers coming through hopefully to have an interest in dementia care both prevention but also response so I'm delighted to be here today. Thank you Jo, what a wealth of experience. Esther. Yeah hi uh, I'm Esther Wiskerke um, and I usually say by day I manage a day centre for people um, with dementia and we specialise in uh, managing the uh, psychological symptoms of dementia um, and uh, in a non-pharmaceutical way uh, by being offering quite creative um, uh, interventions uh, to reduce stress levels um, and by night um, I have then actually uh, completed the, this master's uh, for we talk about uh, today uh, and on top of that uh, since then I, um, I write uh, about dementia and I'm very interested in uh, exploring further the complexities and also um, when it even gets more complicated with the LGTB plus side of, uh, of things. And uh, yeah, that has definitely is a special interest of me. Fantastic. Well, non-pharmacological interventions for dementia is very dear to my heart too. So I'm very excited to hear about your master's studies. And last but not least... 
Hi, I'm Dawn Garrett. I'm the professional lead at the Royal College of Nursing uh, and I'm a clinician up in northern Lincolnshire. And I guess my take is slightly different in that, uh, for me, dementia rarely travels alone. So I'm interested in the interplay of dementia with other uh, issues around older age. My work is predominantly with older people, but I do also cover some younger people with early onset dementia. Well said. There are often comorbidities or co-occurring uh, illnesses and diseases that, that um, people live with and have as well as the dementia and they have often significant impacts and often a priority. If you yeah. think about the risk factors of dementia it is likely somebody's going to have some cardiovascular element or possibly Something, neurological yeah. element. Yeah. yeah good point. So thank you and um, I think I think the first question that would perhaps be most useful for our um, listeners is to ask you to tell us a bit more about your research on this topic. So I think um, maybe we'll ask Esther to start about this because it's her research that we're talking today. She's drawn on the views of experts by experience who are not only people living with dementia and carers, but the expertise of people working in social care. So maybe over to you, Esther. Mm. Yeah, um, I I chose this topic uh, uh, because it's a a tricky one. and um, so it, it's not just about so managing sexuality in dementia care, but also I chose for the complexity of when the person concerned is still married. Mm-hmm. Uh, because managing sexuality in dementia care is one thing in itself already rather complex. But what do you actually do um, when, when they're still married? And that very much also goes with what Dawn said earlier. The person is not alone. Uh, it involves, of course, uh, people around them. Um, and uh, yeah, that that, that uh, took my interest. So we, we chose for a qualitative uh, approach. Um, and I interviewed uh, care workers um, and as well as the relatives to get their view uh, via a vignette um, to explore a bit deeper on uh, up to what point people would sort of tolerate uh, the idea of people showing affection and from what point onwards would actually would that clash um, with their yeah with themselves with their opinion um, on how it ought to be really and 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 then what really what what should one do so for clarity uh, the research that, that you were doing was about understanding how people felt about people's, I guess, uh, affectionate behaviours, sexualised behaviours towards perhaps their own spouse or towards uh, no. others? No, or so towards... The, no, that, that, yeah, thank you for uh, asking the clarification. No, it, even so, the, the story is said that uh, what, uh, a couple, one of them develops dementia. Uh, it then sometimes unfortunately happens that uh, a spouse has to come to the conclusion that they no longer can look after them safely at home. Uh, so with regret, they then one of them goes into a care home. Yeah. And then the husband or wife actually in the care home finds a new connection with someone else who also has dementia in, this, in, in my research case. Um, and then, but of course, they're still technically married. Okay. Or in a long-term relationship, you know, that's yeah. all equal. But uh, the point is that they are emotionally and by law sometimes connected to someone else, yeah. but they, they forget about that. Yeah. Uh, and that's awfully painful, of course, especially for the visiting uh, spouse. Yeah, an all-too-real scenario. I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, what have you discovered? This sounds fascinating. What was discovered is that uh, people uh, initially responded quite positively. They 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 said, "Oh, nice! Uh, uh, there's somebody you can sit to next to somebody else, and it's very nice." And oh, they make friends, and uh, luckily they're not lonely. But as then the story in the vignette progressed uh, to. 
clearly more of an erotic uh, nature. Uh, then the a lot of mo- the majority put the heels in the sand. They say up to that point and no further because this is not allowed. So there was a clear uh, swap, uh, change of opinion from um, general uh, um, c- connection was okay, but when it became a bit uh, further, then no, there was clearly like a sever the contacts, uh, break them up, inform the families, and that was another thing that uh, the study looked at um, in in how much actually because literature review showed that who actually should decide if the person no longer can decide what to do who's entitled to that so if that person lacks capacity Mm, to make a decision yeah and then the law comes there in as well of course yeah which in one way the law is super clear Uh, nobody should touch anybody without their consent but what if that consent fluctuates Exactly. Yeah. Or is imper- uh, possibly contrast to what how the family feels that this is still dignified for that person. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It's very and all that mental capacity mm. stuff becomes really complex, doesn't yeah. it? When yeah. it's entangled with beliefs and yeah. Yeah. there's a, there's a lot more um, uh, research uh, I think uh, to be done in in that field, especially when it comes to family conflict, yeah. on when maybe the, the severity of the touch is not such that um, the um, it's it it let's say that 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 maybe the, the police won't come marching in anytime soon because it's maybe not that severe though it technically is not okay for instance and then if the family uh, views conflict then 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 still the, the the care home staff will have to make a decision yeah, yeah? because somebody's going to be upset somehow. Yeah. So I think there's a much more, but this was not that study, but I think there's there's definitely potential there for the future Thank for you. more research. Yeah. yeah, so I guess it's interesting to know, perhaps Dawn can tell us, is this an under-researched area more generally? Yeah, I think it is. I think anything that uh, challenges some of our cultural, uh, particularly with older people, is difficult. So death, politics, sex, money, all those things sit in that. Perhaps, yeah, absolutely too hard to touch. And of course they're not. And of course older people themselves talk about it all the time. Um, So it is getting a window on that. It is finding your way in. And I, I think the skill of the researcher is highly transferable. If, if you get good at talking to people about sex, you can talk to them about almost anything. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's the, the, real, the real gift of having done this kind of research is it starts to break down that stigma and those taboos and, and it starts to make you feel more comfortable about having difficult conversations. And, and as a nurse, our life is around difficult conversations. So do you think that people themselves want to have these difficult yeah, absolutely. conversations? Yeah. Um, and certainly some of the really early research in this field was exactly that. It, it was um, uh, Meringot talking to people in GP surgeries and them saying to her, I've never had the chance to discuss this before. And, and sadly, you know, we're probably 30 years on from that research and we're still... still got really unusual gatekeepers. I think Mm -hmm. Esther's spoken about the kind of gatekeepers she experiences Uh, and certainly doing my research, those gatekeepers were societal wide we, you know, we think about older people in uh, sometimes a really, really stereotypical vulnerable way and and say, oh, you know you can't talk to them about that Um, 
and that always needs challenging. I think that's that's probably a message for many researchers: is you know why are people stopping you going there? What what is that, and and what are their concerns, and, and where does that sit in the context of our society? Yeah, perhaps a good message for researchers and clinicians. Oh yes. <laughs> so, um, what were the particular challenges in that case to delivering this study, Esther, and the research? in this field in general? Yeah, I think the, the the challenge was actually from a very early on when I came up with the idea. Yeah. Um, I, I, I asked uh, when uh, uh, sort of the faculty uh, and uh, I said, I've got this idea. And and, and they said, uh, but no, no, you, no, 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 that's not appropriate. And I, but I was, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not one to let go easily. So um, I pushed a bit on, and they came back to me, said, "No, no, we checked with colleagues, and uh, no, uh, all the people don't have sex uh, um, anymore." Wow. I, I said, "Whoa, whoa!" But luckily, and when was this? Uh, that, well, that was in, that it? that was in 2014 when when I had to choose my topic. Wow, not um, that long ago. No, not too long ago. But luckily, I met. Very, very talented Professor Jill Manthorp, uh, and, and who certainly does is not narrow-minded, uh, and then we got connected, um, and um, yeah, you you obviously know a lot better, and why and one was not afraid to uh, take it on, uh, otherwise this wouldn't have gone absolutely nowhere. Brilliant. Yeah. And then once you. So that was obviously one of the first mm, hurdles. Yeah. Were there any further hurdles as you went on, for example, with ethics or? Um, when you're actually doing the research, were people quite surprised that mm. you were? Ah, well, uh, uh, ethics is always an interesting one. Um, uh, ultimately, of course, we, we, we obtained ethical pr- approval. I mean, it's a very thorough, thorough process. Uh, I don't recall any, any major issues there. We, 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 that was fairly, uh, I think, it's, well, it's quite comprehensive, isn't it, to, to put it all down, and that, that went through quite easily. But, um, yeah, it, it, I would nearly say, on the contrary, pe- people, I mean, People giggle always a little bit when you bring it up, of course. But uh, afterwards, uh, the interviews, I was astonished by how many of the applic- uh, sort of the participants actually then said, "Oh, well, I know you said it's fictitious, the, the the vignette, but actually, I've I've come across this, or my mom has seen it, or my dad has seen it, yeah. uh, and so many people have actually recognized the storyline yeah. of being real. So, like like Dawn is saying, uh, it's there." It's relevant. It's 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 real. Yeah. Um, and once you have the the guts to open it up and talk about it, people, I think it is nearly a sense of relief that somebody said, "Oh, finally, somebody wants to talk about it," and and, and hits the nail on the head. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Dawn, did you want to add something to I, that? I was just going to give a, a perfect example about the way we think about sex and older people from my ethics, from, from my study. Fantastic. And um, the study uh, came back and they said, you know, we really want to make sure that you've got the right safeguards in place. You know, we accept you're a clinician, you understand safeguarding, you understand mental capacity act. And, and I, you know, duly gave them chapter and verse about, you know, my methods of protecting the participants. And what interested me was at no point did anybody say to me, what happens if you discover that one of the people you're interviewing is a predatory sexual offender or has a paedophilic background or there was never any, any idea that older people were anything other than fluffy and vulnerable. And, and that, I thought, was a, a, just a, a real marker about how we think about research with older people. Absolutely. A real mindset. Yeah, really, really good point. Really good point. So um, just going back a little step, I wonder whether Esther, 
you mentioned earlier that there needs to be lots more research done in this area. What do you think would be the the next piece of research that, that should be done in this area of, of work? Well... The next big question. I think, I think there... <laughs> is that too big? Well, there, there is so much. And since uh, there's more research has, has, has luckily sort of uh, come out. But but um, I, I've got my eye on um, the fact on when, like what I said earlier, is when... Um, so care homes sometimes, I think they're an own, own little society. Mm. Um, um, I've made the example the comparison uh, recently. If somebody on a, on a public bus uh, puts someone your hand on a stranger, you, 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 the stranger might say, "Excuse me, but you know that's inappropriate. You shouldn't be doing it." And if that person was persistent, they they have rightfully so can, could make a case out of that. But if in a care home. Um, uh, a hand goes on a other person and that's a stranger to them and that's persistent now the question is would that how would that be managed because technically it is nearly identical it shouldn't be happening and a person didn't give consent however whether that hand on that other person's lap would make it to the cps is uh, you know i don't want to <laughs> call on that mm. but i fear that that may not happen yet uh, it still shouldn't happen. Mm. Um, and what, what, how do you then actually measure that, that that was consensual? Or even then when the families come in and they see that happening, uh, maybe one family says, well, that's great uh, because that's a bit of affection and I like mom to have that still. Or the other one says, no, but dad would never even have wanted a hand on his lap. Uh, um, uh, so that would dishonor him, his own ethos of him, his marriage, for instance. And I don't want it to have so. Uh, yeah, technically it's incorrect, but uh, if different opinions come in, how, how do you decide that? How, how do you work that through that people don't have a terrible experience because nobody who one doesn't want to be touched should ever be touched? But then again, if you go too strong and you move everybody apart, that means nobody could experience the affection. So I think it's that conflict management. Yeah, two, and, there seems like there's yeah. two sides to this coin. Mm. There's one side about empowering people and the positive aspects of mm. older people and sexuality. But then there's the other side around consent and mm. and uh, protecting and safeguarding people who, you know, f in terms of risky yeah. situations. And then, of course, how we talk about it and how we discuss it yeah. and how the people around the, them, the, the, these older people, um, support yeah. them either way appropriately, both their families and perhaps their ca paid carers. So, and I would nearly also say that yeah. um, how how do you perceive sexuality and affection? Yeah. So, of course, society is very monotonous. Yeah. Uh, it's very standard, um, and also uh, a consent as such. Yes, I want it. No, I don't want it. But it's not always that clear cut. Even in regular life, mm -hmm. that consent may change, and even. Would you argue that if you didn't know who that person was, but their touch felt ever so lovely, yeah. uh, what what level are you that you are actually giving consent or not? Yes. And and should it all always be boxed in? Yes. Can it be fluent? Yes. Um, yes, I agree. I mean, I I think we probably all make some kind of fluid decisions mm. in a day to day life 
without yeah. having a diagnosis of dementia. So, yes, yeah. I completely... At the same time, the care staff are already on, under pressure in care homes. It still needs to remain practical mm. you, you, because they themselves have their own background, although I always say they really it shouldn't really depend on the background of the care worker whether that person is going to experience touch or not. Uh, but you cannot completely ignore that maybe they're coming from a particular religious background where they really find that ethically very difficult to, to per permit. Absolutely, mm. care staff have got mm. their own values and mm -hmm. beliefs. Yeah, I understand that completely. So um, how do you think this stigma around older age and sexuality could be addressed more broadly? Is there anything else, you know, other than the things we've been saying that we could add? thanks to this podcast that is one thanks to what jill is doing what what dawn is doing what what some other great people already are, are doing i think luckily i think there seems to be a momentum building uh, i think it's about exposure 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 via these kind of media keep talking about it um and and i think gradually one day we'll get there yeah yeah it, yeah it's, it's a matter of keeping that repeating the message really and, and uh, combining forces <laughs> with other like-minded professionals and people who say, yeah, let, let's keep profession. talking about it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the exciting. only way. Did, you, what, did anybody want to add anything to our discussion that we haven't covered so far? I suppose one of the things we've not talked about is the use of methods and how exciting it is now that we're dealing, um, we've moved beyond the interviews, which was always very, very difficult for people living with dementia. Um, but to think about more creative forms of methodology around interviews. Interviews are great, they're a, a conversation, um, but they can be supplemented by a whole range of techniques. Esther chose a vignette, um, partly because she was talking to staff and to family carers and I think that worked really well and no wonder that people said it was authentic because she'd worked on it to discuss and to consult so that a lot of people believed it was very real, um, it wasn't just made up. So I think we're at a really good time now of making methodological advances um, in dementia research. Mm. Um, the second point is really that we're moving from problem finding in um, care research in particular. How many problems have we got? Let's stack them up and say that they're really enormous and they're all completely unsolvable to really not problem fixing but really to saying what are the solutions and to chip away at some of the problems and research such as this really equips us to give people on the front line and it's very important that to, to remember that Esther was talking to people who are on minimum wage, working part time, um, very precarious jobs some of them um, and to equip them with the very difficult with tools really for the very difficult work they do. So I think that's a shift isn't it from research about less how big is the problem and let's find a new one if we can to say let's think about solutions um, and particularly in this area where we glibly say things like relationship based care mm -hmm. and we're not entirely sure which relationships we mean and then lastly I suppose we haven't talked about the theoretical basis of those and the way that we're bridging um, theories of both art and science nowadays so whether implementation science is, an, is science or whether implementation is an art we're now more interested in those big pictures to say that whatever research we're doing has to have at some point and perhaps tries to make a difference and the difference can be do something 
something, but also the difference can be don't do something, which is just as really helpful to learn, isn't it? Because um, we can spend a lot of money on um, things that um, when we have difficult choices to be made about it. So I think setting that in the bigger context of dementia research for the future is about thinking about methods really on that real time is valuable spent on methods and then setting it in the context of trying to help people on the front line, carers, people themselves and also frontline care workers and then thinking about the theoretical framework so that we can advance the field. Just chipping away is really what I suppose I'm getting at. Yeah, that's a really useful roundup. Thank you, Jill. And I'm actually going to extend our conversation a little bit because at the beginning Esther said to me please don't ask me too much about methods <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't and I recently I was involved with a qualitative research methods group for people for in dementia and actually um, we recorded a podcast or the remainder of the group did I wasn't unfortunately able to attend the podcast in person and we talked about all different innovative methods and I wonder have you um, did you contemplate using images or total? I, I talk about total communication as a speech language therapist, which is my background, where we use might write single words down or draw pictures as we go along, use gestures, and we might show that might be a bit more complex, but we might show videos or images to supplement our uh, discussion. Did you think about including any of that, or was that? A bit more challenging. No, no, and I guess because uh, I interviewed relatives and care staff, of course. Uh, and not actually people with dementia That's, themselves. Otherwise, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, then, of course, you have to think of a lot more create, creative. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's really yeah. useful. Thank you. And I and I agree again with my clinical hat on. I think this is. A, I really appreciate the point you made, Jill, about um, really Im that the implementation of any research work is often something that frontline staff have to pick up and run with who often are have got lots of complex pressures, day-to-day -day pressures. And I think that um, you're, that is something that perhaps will be really important for research to explore further in terms of care. And I think perhaps uh, Dawn yeah, wants I was, to... I was going to say, so for me, the culmination of this work is, is how do we get that knowledge to, uh, particularly for me, nurses, because th that's what I do. And, and, and often they're the decision makers within, certainly within the care home. So um, we've done some work where we've synthesised a lot of the research and taken a kind of case study approach to guide our members, supplemented by the law and some really great barristers who work really on, on the cutting edge of capacity law around sexuality uh, and that guidance is out there for people to to look at and read and I think that for me is is the closing the circle and and that's the really important stuff fantastic well thank you Dawn that's a really good um point to end on so thank you Esther Dawn Jill today for all the conversation I think we could have continued chatting for a lot longer <laughs> If any of our listeners have anything to add on this topic, please add your comments on our website or drop us a line on Twitter using the hashtag ECRDementia. As I mentioned at the start, we also have a WhatsApp group and the content of today's podcast will be their topic of the day for their online chat in one week's time. And to find out how to join, check out our Twitter feed or visit the Ask an Expert page on our website. I will be on that WhatsApp group, ready to have more discussions on this fascinating topic next week. 
So thank you again to today's panellists, Jill, Esther and Dawn. And finally, please remember to like, subscribe and leave a review of this podcast through our website, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean and SoundCloud. And please tell your friends and colleagues. Have a great day. Thank you. Brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world.